0: This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The Center for Disease Control in Washington, D.C. has a viral outbreak warning. State and local officials have reported cases of high fever, nausea, death,
1: and even cannibalism. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you when you finish with the episode. go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a Substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you'd sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, 5 quid a month, 50 quid a year and for that you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substat.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I think, Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast... Oh, shit! You're listening to the James McMahon Music Podcast. And I'm your host, James McMahon. And this is a spook... Media Production. I don't assume, Nicola, you've ever made a telescope. No, I never have. Well, today you and I are going to make two of them. Okay. And you need some very exotic equipment, like uh, eyeglasses like this, you know, that people buy because they want to magnify it so they can read. And notice this only has one lens (laughs) because the other half is down here in the front. Oh, yeah. See, there's a little hole in there, and I just taped the uh, reading glass on the front. The telescopes have a new album out this Friday on February 24th. It's called Experimental Health, and it's a strange and beguiling thing. As we'll learn on this episode, the telescopes have got a bunch of records out this year, with the legendary Shoegaze Experimental Psychedelic Noise Rock group seemingly making up for lost time after the pandemic of 2020 made them down tools for a moment. On this episode, I talked to Stephen Laurie, the sole constant in a group that started their Sonic Adventure way back in 1987. It's a good conversation, this. Far-reaching, and for a fan of the band like me, frequently illuminating. So let's get to it. I'm quite surprised to hear that you haven't used Zoom before. How did you survive the pandemic? <laughs> I spoke to, I don't know, just uh, Messenger, things like that. Yeah, I feel like Zoom is one of these things that, I mean, this podcast literally wouldn't exist without it, but it feels like one of those things that kind of came along and was super exciting. It felt a little bit like you were, you know, living in the future and now it's become like a bit of the bane of my life really. It, I, <laughs> really? Yeah, well I just I just miss kinda of getting on a tube and going to meet people, you know. It's right, not, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The fact it can all kinda of be done remotely is a bit kind of I don't know. Causes causes a few more sort of problems really. But anyway, I'm starting this very uh glum honor. <laughs> I need to uh it's fr- it's Friday, I need to uh, It is Yeah, totally. Um listen, let's jump straight in. So uh, i re- really wanted to talk to you about your new record. I was uh excited and confused by the fact that there are no guitars on it. Tell me a bit about the thinking behind that
0: it's uh i mean when i make music it's i'm often thinking about it while I'm writing the lyrics and you get a sense and a feel of the kind of atmosphere the music should have and guitars just didn't come into it at all uh i was automatically thinking of like these little pocket operators i've been messing around with um basically like the size of a credit card or something like that and they got so many program sounds into them and you can mess around with them you can like it's got like a little step sequencer in it as well and stuff like that and Um, That seemed to have more of the kind of vibe I wanted I mean these pocket operators Each one's like based on a different thing Like you can get the office model Which has got lots of office sounds in it And stuff like that And then more industrial models And things like that So it was you get all kinds of sounds on there That you can manipulate and play around with And the syncing and the timing on them Is really good as well
1: I think I might need to know a little bit more About what pocket operators are I'm not sure I really know
0: um I think this is the company makes the Mason's called Teenage Engineering, but they're they're just tiny little sequences like that fit in your hands, you know, and you can link them all together, you know, you can have twenty of them going all at once, all in sync with each other. And they got all these crazy sounds in them, like a photocopy and noise like <laughs> something <laughs> like that, you know. Yeah. Or little bleeps and things like that. Oh, you can get ones that's Focus more on drum kind of sounds, but all electronic drum sounds, which you can—the possibilities are endless with them. But they're so tiny and, and so cheap; they're only about fifty quid each.
1: I always find it's really weird. I've been, you know, writing and talking about music for, you know, well over twenty years, and you know, if I kind of add like the time I did a fanzine and all that stuff, it goes, you know, way beyond that. And I've always kind of, I've always felt slightly reticent about actually talking about sort of creativity within music Mm. it's like on one hand i don't really want to it's almost like i don't want to like look too far behind the curtain myself you know i don't want to understand how everything works right because then it loses that sort of sense of wonder sometimes Mm. but also like explaining lyrics as well that can ruin a song for someone yeah i mean i i I have to say i'm quite proud of myself i don't think i've ever pursued that line of questioning (laughs) ever but i also think as well that i guess i think it's quite i just think sometimes it sounds really boring right like sometimes it's quite like so tell me about this and sometimes it can just be i don't know i just think music has more sort of it just has more sort of natural wonder than that but i i guess when you were saying that about guitar sort of didn't really uh Can can you explain a little bit that process or a little bit of that that thought process where you're like, okay, well, this record isn't about guitars. I just, I just wonder, I just wonder like how you arrive at that.
0: Well, I mean, I had the title pretty much from the start from the word go. Um, So that gave me quite a sense of the atmosphere of the album and, um, then you start building a kind of environment in your head, like almost like uh, an imaginary place. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just try and create music that sets the tone for the subject matter, really. And like I was hearing kind of bleepy noises in my head and mechanical, you know, mm-hmm. like experimental health. So sort of. I just don't think a guitar's gonna. Think of, of, of those words together.
1: Well, I, I guess that what leads me on to ask is, I mean, can, can I be can I interpret experimental experimental health as almost like a literal mediation on health? Um. See, do you know what I mean? I'm 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 behind the curtain now, right? <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I just saw. Sort of, I, I I don't know. It's been a funny. Well, it's been an insane last sort of three years and I sort of feel like kind of health and um, I mean literally kind of living through a pandemic and constantly thinking about people people dying or people being ill or how can you not get ill or all that it's like I'm just kind of wondering how much that kind of fed into the idea of what this record is
0: a lot yeah it was written during that and created during that and I think we've all been living in experimental times for the the past couple of years or so
1: right so it is really a direct consequence of what has happened in recent times well everything that i do is really
0: it's it's a consequence of what's going on in my life at the time i mean i don't really write autobiographically like literally it's it's more abstract than that shades come in that make me think about certain things but I don't really like things that just mean one literal thing. I like things that are open to interpretation, but you get a sense of the vibe and the emotion behind it. You know, did you? it's like, it's like say, if you took an album, like say, John Lennon, sometime in New York City, something like that. It's very literal to the time. He's singing about things that are going on like John Sinclair and you know all these kind of things that are very specific to that time and if you haven't lived through it it's interesting but it's not really a sing-along sort of thing is it you know Mm -hmm. it's hard to relate to it unless it's you somehow connected in a way
1: did you get ill in recent times i got ill at the beginning of the pandemic
0: and yeah it lasted for quite a while all right so you were sort of a pioneer really <laughs> it wasn't the first. I think it was like the second wave of COVID or something like that. Right. But yeah, I got the long version of it.
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it was over six months that I had it for. What was the
1: what was the symptoms of that? I I, I know people who. I mean, I, I know someone who's sort of still really kind of floored by it. Like it's completely changed their life. But what was it? What was it like for you?
0: Well, initially, I didn't have the three symptoms on the government site that are required for you to get a test. <laughs> I had no sense of loss of smell, um, and I, can't remember, I didn't have a fever, and I can't remember what the third one was, but I didn't have that either. So it says you're not eligible for a test. See. I mean, they changed those parameters later, I guess, but towards the end of the pandemic.
1: Oh man, what, what weird times. How...
0: Yeah, I mean for me it was like lots and lots of aches and pains, uh brain fog, extreme brain fog. Um and a bit of trouble breathing, just more out of breath, like an altitude six thing or something like that, you know.
1: How old are you now, pal?
0: Um oh God, I have to work it out. Um I'm gonna yeah. be fifty-four this yeah, this year, yeah. Do you think about mortality? Mm. It's a thought that creeps in more often than it used to.
1: When do you think that first started happening?
0: Maybe when I was in a
1: car crash. Oh, God, when was that?
0: Mm. Quite a while ago now, actually. Probably close to 20 years ago. God, bloody hell. So what happened there? Just spun out. The driver fell asleep at the wheel, nearly crashed into a car in front of us, and everything just went psychedelic, you know. <laughs> you, know you, you think... I thought we'd gone down the bank and trees were coming through the window and all sorts of things. But when the car stopped, we were still on the motorway. we have been smashing into the the barrier, you know, oh god. in a spin, you know, and then the car was on fire. So we had to get out.
1: Jesus Christ. that is! But uh... It makes you think
0: because in that moment, I thought I was going to die. I thought that was it. And... It was strange. Everything did slow down, and there was like an inner peace, like in the eye of the storm, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I definitely would not want to go in a go on a motorway, lay by, <laughs> burning to death. That's definitely not. I don't think that's the way that anyone's going to choose, really. Yeah, I don't know if there's any good way out. Really. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Years ago, when I was in a band, the guy we were doing a gig in Wakefield, of all places, and the. Guy, oh, yeah. The guy who was we we were in the northeast. Uh, you're Northumberland, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lived in Sunderland and Newcastle for years. And all oh, right, we were um, we were driving back after this gig in Whitefield, and I remember seeing the the driver nodding off, and you know, sort of wake waking himself up and having to uh, grab hold of the wheel, and that was like. I think, I'm not sure the band lasted much longer after that, actually. I think I was a little bit like, I can't, I just can't do this. This has to be a, I have to find a different way of doing this because it's ridiculous, like working, working all day long and then driving across the country for shows and almost dying on the motorway. So, yeah, yeah. Wild wild stuff. Kind of going back a little bit, like, when would you say that the telescopes really became like less of a band and your thing? Um,
0: probably from the from the very start i'd say
1: all oh, right okay that cuz that's not that's not normally a narr- the narrative that's said about your group really
0: yeah but the lines got blurred because for the first two albums or so it it was pretty much the same lineup live so it kind of it it, it the lines is it a band or isn't it you know <laughs> yeah so i mean the the I mean, every musician he plays with
1: me has an input as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of those first two records, but like, we're so far away from that now, um, and obviously, there's that kind of, there's there's a big gap as well. I've I, I read, I've read a lot about you. I've read a lot about almost like what led to kind of an evolution in the telescopes, but I don't know loads about like really kind of what happened in that kind of ten years. What what were you doing then?
0: Um, I was getting my head back together, really, in lots of ways. Right. Um, the whole thing changed from the when we started out to that second album coming out. Everything had changed so much that I just didn't recognise it anymore.
1: What What do you mean that things have changed?
0: Everything. You know, the band had changed. the The people around us. The it, <laughs> Everybody's motives seem to have changed. It was all about hits and stuff like that. And, you know, i never really sat down and thought, right, I'm going to write a hit now.
1: Right. I, I mean, that almost kind of... Or I'm going to write the good song on the album now. <laughs> but, but that kind of leads to something I was going to ask, is that, I mean, there's so many... On those records, that there are pop songs, for you know, want of a better word. like. Do you, mm. Do you find yourself writing songs like that still, or is that just, does, does that just never really enter your songwriting repertoire?
0: I'm starting to a lot more now, yeah. All oh, right, okay. Um, I did, I've just finished that? another album for um, Tapet label in Germany, and that's very immediate. There's not so much of the wall of noise either, or anything like that. It's a very open sounding recording.
1: I heard that you write, or that you you write the majority of your songs on, on acoustic guitar, which blew my mind actually when I when I read that. Is that true?
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I just can't. I mean, there's almost that thing, isn't there? Like that, you know, people, the sort of people who hang around in guitar shops would say that you know you could play it on acoustic guitar, but I never really think of. I just can't. There's so many of your songs. I'm just like, I can't really see how that comes about.
0: There's quite a few people think that. I mean, there was people that thought that the first album, Taste, was just a bunch of kids getting in a room together and making a noise. And some people, I remember a guy talking to our producer at the time, Richard Formby, and saying that he didn't like the Telescopes for that reason. And Richard corrected him and he said, you'd be surprised. He said, Stephen comes in with an acoustic guitar and it sounds just the same on acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it is.
0: You know, all the weird little bits are there. Everything's there. You know, <laughs> and like he went back and listened to the music and started getting into it. it was strange that that was the decider for him.
1: So I'm um, I'm 42, and I I have to confess I wasn't I wasn't cool enough to like be on board with the telescopes when I was a kid. Like I came to you via ATP, you know when when. Port said, invited you to play." Oh, right, yeah. How how big how big was that for you at the time?
0: Yeah, it was quite big. It was it was nice to, to be invited. Yeah. Um, I don't think we had the greatest sound there. I don't think there's a lot of subs at that festival on the PAS, and I don't know if that suits our sound so much.
1: It definitely did elevate you. Did do you feel a bit forgotten before that?
0: Um. No, I was quite happy with uh, it being more under the radar, really. It, it gave me freedom, and I didn't want those pressures again of, like, you know, right, the next one's got to be a hit, okay? And I didn't want all that. I just wanted to create and see what came out and, you know, just follow my nose and let the creativity lead the way.
1: i I tell you what I think is really interesting about you – it, just from this, you know, very brief little therapy session that we're having here, <laughs> is, is the, the It's almost like when people are creative and they make things, and I am I, I speak for myself here, it's like you want a lot of people to hear it. I feel that like that's very common with people. But I almost feel like you just want to be creative and it doesn't really matter to you if anyone is really paying attention. I, am I off base there? Well, I'm human, you know... <laughs>
0: Um, I do like it when we play a show and everyone's into it and I do like it when people get a kick out of a record that I made or
1: something. Um, but it still doesn't really sound like you're driven by ego.
0: uh, Oh, I've got no desire to be a celebrity or anything like that. No.
1: Was that the case from the off?
0: I I think I was really naive when I was younger. I just thought anything that made the telescopes or established the telescopes in some way was what you had to do. And then I kind of got lost in it. I got lost in this world that I didn't really want to be in.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, you you go into, like, magazines like Smash Hits and everything, which I used to read as a kid.
1: Yeah.
0: And you see, in the reality of it and uh, just feeling so uncomfortable, people pushing you around, slapping makeup on you, putting bubble machines in your face, and telling <laughs> you to pout and stuff like that. And it just. Not, you know, like people telling you to growl at the camera and things like that. It's why can't I just do what I would do? You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. But did you never have like the whole kind of hairbrush in front of the mirror experience as a teenager?
0: Oh, probably. Got down some tunes with a Hoover or something, yeah, I'm sure, or Cricket, but anything I could get my hands on, yeah.
1: Right,
0: right. I used to dream about guitars when I was a little, yeah.
1: What was the most demeaning thing during that period that anyone asked you to do? Too many to choose from, really. I mean, growling at the camera is... I've never heard of that before.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They had this camera on the train tracks and... Yeah, they said when the camera comes down here, you just jump out and growl at the camera with your fingers and stuff like that. Wow. And he did an impression of what he wanted me to do. And...
1: But I mean, there is, there is like, a, I think when you look at your discography or, you know, you look at your career, there is definitely a moment where there is definitely a moment where there's another direction you could go and it maybe is more commercially successful and, you know, you are maybe spoken about. In the same breath as like a my bloody Valentine or something like that, and I think that you went perhaps a more interesting direction. But do you ever kind of think I would have liked to have gone the other way?
0: No, because it's just like a sugar rush, isn't it? And lots of ways you burn out in the solar
1: system. It's oh uh, god! I I think I want a little bit of what I think I want a little bit of what you're taking. You know, (laughs) I think he's no, I think he's good. No, I think it's I think it's good, man. Like you, you see, I'm you? a massive fan of
0: music. That's the kick I get is is from listening. Like when I was a kid, it blew my mind. Like hearing records, sitting down on my own and really listening to them. And that's the kick I get. Really, what's coming out of the speakers and the artwork to a certain extent.
1: Yeah do you, do you, do you still feel that now? Oh yeah, yeah. Has it ever wavered?
0: Um, when I'm working heavily on my own stuff, I tend not to listen to anybody else at all. I just if someone puts a record, on, I feel a bit prickles, you know, like oh no, don't put that. On.
1: Well, I, well, I guess what I meant a bit more though is that uh, have you ever have you ever thought have you ever felt done with music? Mm, yeah, it's a kind of, a, a little bit. When was that?
0: Probably after well, during the sabbatical. <laughs> I mean, but then, even then, I was, like, learning about computer software and music software because computers were starting to come in and things like that and the internet, so, um, you know, how to... Because that, that was liberating to me because I, like, towards the end of the creation sort of era, I spent a lot of time in studios with samplers and sequencing things, and back then it was quite involved, you know, these... Akai samplers and triggering things and everything getting the machines to speak to each other could take all day sometimes and uh, so it used up a lot of studio time but being able to do it at home on your own computer was just li- really liberating. I could edit things move them around, try it out if it didn't
1: work no big deal come back to it later yeah and just explore. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I I wouldn't say that I was in any any way computer literate in terms of making music, but it is utterly, utterly thrilling. And you do sort of think, Jesus Christ, I, I wish I'd known about this a lot earlier, because a lot of the things that I don't really like about making music, they're just taken away by what you can do digitally.
0: Oh yeah, you can just dig twenty takes of a guitar track and just let it roll, change it around every time and you choose the bits you like, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Are you, you... right you can write as you record, basically, and not have to worry about the clock ticking.
1: Yeah. So the record's out, is it twenty fourth?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. God, that's really I'm very impressed. I'm not I'm not great at remembering things like that. Are you are you gonna be playing? Yeah, we're touring uh, June, I think,
0: is Europe, and then the end of June into July, the UK.
1: Oh, fantastic! How do you? I mean, I haven't seen you play for years, but how? Like with these songs, like because they're so, well, sort of. I mean, I almost, I'm almost reluctant to say songs. Really, like it almost feels like soundscapes in places. Like, how do you present those songs live?
0: Um. It'll be interesting to see what we do with those. Right. Um, if we play any of those, because I've got another album coming out that's
1: all guitars. <laughs> so when do you think people will be able to hear that? That one's coming out um May. Oh, fantastic. Well,
0: I look forward to that. And there's another guitar one coming out in September, I think, on
1: Fuzz Club. Bloody hell. That's, well, so basically this this year we'll have seen three records released.
0: Yeah, I'm also in another project called Foam Giant with uh some guys from Minneapolis. Um I do the vocals and the lyrics on that. We've got we've got a second album coming out this year
1: as well. So that's four. Is that the most records you've ever released in a year? Oh uh, yeah, of new material. Yeah, definitely. Oh, exciting. Good times. Well, listen, it's been so good to uh, speak to you, man, and thanks for all the music you've made over the years that I've loved so much. It's, uh, it's been really nice to have a chat. Yeah, good talking to you. Well, that was episode 126. Thanks to Stephen for the chat. Thanks to Rachel Silver for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the band Jobbers, and I'll see you soon.
0: Yes. Mr. Tiger will show us how
1: Kellogg's Sugar Frosted flake cereal starts out. Is a flake field?
0: It's a cornfield. Kellogg's toast corn into golden flakes and adds a secret frosting. Helps keep them extra crunchy and delicious. It's part of your good breakfast and tastes... I know! Great! Sit down breakfast with Tony And you'll discover why it's great. Mr. Tiger, you're wonderful. <laughs> oh, shucks.